I'll be joined by representatives from three different Southern Connecticut movie theaters that will be participating in this event to talk about why these coordinated screenings and conversations will be taking place, the kind of resonance of 1984, both the movie and the book, and its nightmarish vision of totalitarian rule today, and the role of art house and independent movie theaters in the Trump era. Thank you very much, Harry. Uh, so without further ado, I'm very excited to welcome to the show Adam Birnbaum, Arnold Gorlick, and Liana hirschfeld Crone. Adam is a film buyer for a number of theaters around the country and the film programmer for the Avon Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. Arnold is the founder and owner of the Madison Art Cinemas in Madison, Connecticut. And Liana is a second-year PhD student. Third-year. Third-year PhD student. Wonderful. Oh. Uh, in comparative literature and film and media studies at Yale University. So Adam, Arnold, and Liana, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here, and thanks for bearing with the technical difficulties right from the top. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Okay. To be. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. And Adam, who's calling in from Stanford, can you hear us okay? I can hear you great. Oh, what a relief. Okay. So, Adam, since you are, I understand you're one of the organizers of this event, in addition to being a participant, I wonder if you could uh, kind of introduce this event to me and to our listeners. What is taking place on April 4th in, you know, over 190 theaters around the country and really around the world? Uh, and and how did, uh, how did this event come to be? Sure. Uh, you know, a fellow programmer and I who uh, regularly talk and commiserate about a variety of subjects pertaining to our industry, uh, we're lamenting uh, over a series of conversations the current state of affairs in the United States as it pertains to the administration and governance. Uh, we together speculated on what would happen in the future, and we were concerned. We thought how could we get more involved and be more active as individual citizens? And how might we utilize our cinemas in some sort of a fashion that could galvanize people on a localized, community-based level to collectively get together and talk about some of the issues that might be on their minds? And so we decided that we would embark on a campaign to solicit theaters to participate in a national screening day event. And for all appropriate reasons, we felt as though 1984 was just a great starting point film to use for the purpose of kicking off this uh, screening series, if you will, uh, should it become something that we do on a more regular basis and not just this one-off program on April, on April 4th. So I'm, I'm interested in talking with each of the kind of guests on the show today about this question, but maybe you can also start off by you know, telling us just what is going to be taking place at, at your theater in particular on April 4th. I understand that it's not just a screening of this movie, but there's kind of a larger conversation that you're looking to engage with, with your audience, with, uh, I guess, with all of these other theaters that will simultaneously be uh, also screening and participating in this event. So, so what what are the the different things that'll be happening at at the Avon Theater on April fourth? Well, you know, Tom, it's it's really you know a decentralized process as to what each and every theater decides to do. Um, being a, an informal network of independent cinemas, we felt it important to leave it up to each theater to decide based on whatever they felt was best or their given venue and marketplace that they embark on on a grassroots local level. So we at the Avon uh, decided to bring in a school teacher by the name of Ruth Terry Walden. She's an English teacher at West Hill High School, which is the public school here in Stanford. Uh, we thought she would be a great guest speaker 
in part because she has regularly taught the book to her classes over the years. So she's very well versed in the book. Uh, she's also one of many people who, as a concerned citizen of the world, uh, has some issues that uh, she hopes to bring to light to dovetail from the book to current events and issues pertaining to our government. So, you know, we were thinking very locally when we decided upon a speaker for our event with the hope that it would bring a community feel to the evening and that it also might help us bring students in, being that she could be a conduit in that capacity. Other theaters are working with different people in their communities. Uh, some have uh, solicited the support and perhaps uh, participation of organizations that are perhaps not local but national, such as the ACLU or Planned Parenthood. Uh, people have reached out to the NEA, though right now it's obviously very difficult to get them involved with anything due to their circumstances. But, you know, each theater has really looked at it in a different way and is doing something unique to whatever they feel is best. Arnold, you are no, well, first of all, you're no stranger to the show, for which I'm very grateful. You've been on a number of times, and but also you're no stranger to kind of hosting uh, events that go beyond the just simply the screening of a movie at your theater. I mean, at your uh, two-screen two theater out in Madison, Connecticut, you often introduce films, you often have guests come and talk, you have your Sunday Cinema Club. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what will be happening at Madison Art Cinemas on April 4th, and also why did you want to participate, why did you want your theater to participate in this National Event Day? Well, I share the value of the mission, and uh, I can't say enough about Adam Birnbaum and Dylan Skolnick. I actually learned about this by accident because I'm not on a Google group for uh, a group of us. Wasn't on a Google group for we art house owners called Art House Convergence. As soon as I learned what was going on, Adam's a friend of mine, um, in many ways a spiritual advisor, and um, I learned what was necessary and got on board immediately to be one of the uh, over 140 art cinemas in the uh, country in the country and in Canada as well. We're having a guest speaker after hours. Uh, I'm lucky that we have Yale as a resource that we're in the environment. So from the history department at Yale, we have a very public figure, Beverly Gage, uh, who people have seen on uh, PBS NewsHour, uh, Charlie Rose, and so on and so forth. And just a week ago Sunday, one of her many articles again appeared in the Sunday Magazine section, where she talked about the idea of what it means to call someone un-American, and so on and so forth. She'll be speaking afterwards. We are charging admission. Although the theater is a for-profit theater, we function, the ethos functions a lot like a not-for-profit theater because we have so many public events and fundraising. We give fundraising opportunities to people in our community. We're going to be donating after taxes and film rental at least half of the proceeds, we thought uh, to give the audience a chance to either the National uh, Endowment for the Arts, the ACLU, and the or the International Refugee Refugee and Immigration Services. I'm going to try and persuade them that the la the last one might be the best choice. They're Connecticut based, and they're also the same group that took the Syrian that poor Syrian family who was denied access to Indiana by Pence. But then Governor Pence and took them to Connecticut. Liana, the uh, Adam and Arnold both uh, work at 
you know, independent movie theaters that uh, have, you know, their own kind of budgets and their own missions, but also they, you know, they screen movies on a regular basis and they look to engage with their audiences kind of somewhere between a, what a mainstream movie theater does and maybe what, what you all at the Yale Film Colloquium does, which is maybe a, a more kind of targeted academic mission. So I wonder if, you know, hearing Adam talk about his, uh, you know, the educational uh, intent of this type of event where it's not just about a screening, but also bringing in a local high school teacher and educator uh, and Arnold talking about um, the connections to Beverly Gage, but also donations to the ACLU. I wonder how um, this screening fits within both the, the Yale. Well, first, if you could tell us kind of what the Yale Film Colloquium is, but also how this fits within your kind of programming mindset and particular the series that is going on right now. Um, right, thank you. Yeah, um, we have a series going on right now, which is called Films Against Fascism. So um, when Brian Meacham, the film archivist at the Yale Film Archive, found out from a film programmer's listserv about this event, um, he called us to ask if we wanted to collaborate on this screening because it fits so conveniently within our series. The rest of the films we've shown so far are um, Malcolm X, A Taxing Woman, which is an amazing Japanese film about a um, heroic tax auditor, um, Hans Labyrinth and The Bling Ring. Um, and yeah, we are a graduate student-run um, film programming organization. We primarily draw upon what's available to us on 35mm from the Yale Film Archive, which is a real privilege. Um, but yes, we also get to practice the art of programming, and um, this year it felt pretty crucial to address uh, the horrific events of this administration um, through the resources that were available to us. The Adam, you mentioned uh, that it was kind of an obvious pick to go with 1984 when you were kind of you and other fellow organizers were deciding what was going to be the centerpiece of this event. But I wonder if we could uh, kind of uh, dive into that a bit more now. I mean, for you know, there are over the past kind of century plus, there are no shortage of kind of dystopian kind of political. Uh, totalitarian regime movies from which to pick. Um, and I wonder why, you know, 19, 1984 also, you know, saw an incredible spike in book sales after the Trump election. I was looking at an article from January 25th, early today, that said that the 1984 saw a 10,000% increase year over year in, in its book sales, um, especially after Kellyanne Conway uh, made that kind of infamous comment about alternative facts uh, and that being so central to the uh, kind of totalitarian strategy of the regime in 1984. But I wonder if you could tell, you know, tell me and our listeners a bit about how you settled on 1984, why you think this is kind of an appropriate movie to uh, kind of incite uh, this conversation uh, and how you think it, it resonates today. Well, to your point, um, you know, I think it's, an uncanny film in relating directly to some of the things we are witnessing, hearing, and experiencing with this particular government. That you have a book and subsequently a film in which the protagonist works for the government and is supposed to be rewriting history, if you will, and that Big Brother is watching all of the time resonates directly. I mean, we have never seen or experienced in such a aggressively direct approach a government 
and in the case of Trump, a president who is attempting on a daily basis to dismantle the media, uh, you know, delegitimize it. Um, you know, it's, it's, of course, very disingenuous. I find it pretty funny and ironic every time uh, I'll see a tweet from him or some sort of comment where he suggests that the media is putting out fake news while he makes some sort of a compliment about Fox News. I mean, this is this is the epitome of propaganda, and that's precisely what the protagonist in the book and film is enlisted to do. So for me, there, there's a real direct parallel, particularly there, um, at least on that one subject matter, as it relates and pertains to media, which concerns me greatly. Now, I'd be the first one to say that we in this country have had a real problem with media and its ability to be unfiltered and unfettered in the way in which it presents information that has been largely uh, challenged, if you will, by the fact that it's ruled and dominated by a number of different corporations that control it. Uh, you know, so, so there is actually, strangely enough, a nugget of truth somewhere in what Trump says when he says that the media is perhaps biased or uh, not putting out uh, all of the facts. But we also know that he's not really trying to get at what the real problem is. And what he's really trying to promote is his agenda, only his agenda, only his voice. And again, you know, using Fox as the uh, example or mantle on which we should hang our uh, beliefs is indicative of, of where he's coming from. And I think it's really frightening and, and highly problematic. So I would say that is most exemplary for why this movie was chosen. Though, as you delve into the film and relate it back to what's going on with our government, uh, there are many other parallels you could make. I mean, you know, the fact that uh, they are trying to rewrite history and the future right now as it pertains to uh, climate change and environmental protections. The idea that we should deny the existence of climate change is laughable and preposterous, but it's happening. So these are things that I hope might become points of discussion as we delve from the movie into what's happening right now and why we chose this film. So, Liana, in a, a couple of weeks ago, when Trump, Trump announced his proposed budget for the upcoming year, uh, he was it was pretty merciless in its treatment of uh, national arts organizations. The NEA, the NEH, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, all were basically completely defunded. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, a conservative kind of political com uh, columnist for the Washington Post, a guy named George Will, who's had a very long uh, political career, uh, wrote this op-ed about how he he welcomed the defunding of the NEA. He didn't think it was in the national government, and this is, I think he's he's certainly an outlier in terms of you know political commentators in the Washington Post. But it was a, a polemical op-ed, and it was meant to you know offer a conservative and sympathetic perspective on uh, this approach. But it's also something. I mean. Even though he's a bit of an outlier, maybe in the Washington Post, this is nothing new in terms of what we hear from the right. I mean, going back, he was kind of referencing an argument that was very popular in the early 90s as part of this kind of culture war mentality, where there was this um, this battle over arts between people who fashion themselves more progressive and people who fashion themselves more traditional. And I wonder, as 
um, you know, someone who's been involved in programming a series called Films Against Fascism, uh, in which you have looked at a, a number of movies that um, imagine in one way or another a, uh, a reality that is, um, that is extreme and horrific, but kind of beyond the actual, our kind of current state of existence. Like what, what you see in Pan's Labyrinth or what you see in 1984 is, is not, you know, what we see in Trump's America kind of right now. It's certainly, these are dangerous kind of moments. Maybe these are things that it could turn into, but I wonder if, I mean, to that, that criticism from the right that, you know, with the election of Trump, the left has kind of completely gone off the wagon and said this is incipient fascism and totalitarianism. It, do you see, you know, the screening of something like 1984 or you know anything in the Films Against Fascism series as an argument that we already are in like a time of fascism and this is a way to resist it, or or what? How how do you see this fitting within that narrative of social commentary and then kind of reflecting actual reality? Well, what was striking to me about um, watching 1984 relatively recently was um, that throughout most of the film, almost everyone within the society is operating sort of unconsciously within it. Um, and I think that's been the resonance across most of the films, that no matter the degree of horror or who is actually being persecuted and who is being, um, who has some kind of respite from the regime, uh, there is always a deep and profound anxiety about what you're not noticing, what horrors you're not noticing that are going on around you. Um, I'm imagining all of the citizens um, of Oceania not knowing anything about the horrific torture that um, Winston Smith is subjected to, um, you know, in a, a film that has um, entirely white cast members. It uh, doesn't give us the specific uh, victims who are um, most at risk within the country today, but um, certainly metaphorically, figuratively, and viscerally, um, it's easy to feel. I also, after watching the film, immediately, I was on Facebook, and I found an article about data wiping on um, research on global warming in the Ar Arctic, and it just felt like the most uncanny experience I've ever yeah. had. Yeah, no, even though these are dystopian <laughs> visions, there are certain things that actually do, like actual are actually like, happening. Uh, political <laughs> approaches that do happen here. But you're right, I think you're you're totally right in keying in on what Orwell and what uh, the 1984 film are um, most warning against, which is this this line from the book that is that says that orthodoxy is unconsciousness. And that is kind of the key to the domination of a totalitarian government when it, in, when it completely um, dominates a its population populace's ability to to think uh, and and to think independently and to act independently uh, and Arnold I wonder show I mean for your um, for your audience out in Madison Connecticut uh, playing a movie like 1984 do you see this as a I mean what what are you what are you kind of hoping to get out of this screening is this a call to arms for the people who will be coming to your theater is this a, a wake-up call um, is this just a, a night of entertainment and education for you well, uh, the idea of entertainment and education to me are not separate concepts. People say, I don't go to the movies to think, and I wonder, I said, gee, don't you find thinking entertaining? I do. Um, my outrage at the Trump administration goes beyond politics. This is not just liberal versus conservative. This is um, the the administrifying of the government. The government is meant to administer things, and they're taking apart all of the administrations which are there to protect us. 
they speak of regulations as being harmful and oppressive. Well, it's harmful and oppressive to billionaires who want to do whatever they want and extract more for themselves at the expense of poor people who can't get health care, who can't get certain services. A widowed elderly woman in New York who can't get heating, something like that at the expense. In the statement that I believe was put together by Dylan Skolnick and Adam Birnbaum, it talked about the defunding of the NAA, which is the suppression of freedom of speech through entertainment. Well, the idea of an art cinema as opposed to a mainstream cinema, and not that mainstream cinemas don't present fine movies, is that we more consistently appeal to the adult mind and want to create a dialogue over what we're showing to have people think about things. We want people to come to our movie theater and think and be entertained by thinking and to have a dialogue. We have a cinema club where we speak about movies. I have special events all the time. And again, if it weren't for Adam and Dylan, uh, I wouldn't have known about this program. Thank goodness I'm a member of the Art House Convergence. I want to say that you are listening to WNHH uh, LP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, uh, and I'm talking with three kind of local participants in a national event day taking place next Tuesday uh, that will see coordinated screenings and conversations around uh, the movie 1984, the big screen adaptation of George Orwell's uh, mid-century dystopian novel. Um, Adam, as someone who uh, doesn't just program at the Avon, but also is a film buyer for uh, we were talking late last week. It, it sounds like maybe, I don't know, dozens is is the right quantity, but certainly a lot of art house and independent theaters around the country. Um, I imagine you, you think a lot about the role of the art house theater in kind of the, the larger kind of cultural context. But it seems like the, with the election of Trump, uh, that role and maybe those responsibilities are, are changing or becoming a bit more urgent. I wonder if you could I mean, just... Uh, Tell me a bit about what you see as the role of of your theater and of kind of art house movie theaters like yours in the you know in the age of Trump in the age of the you know potential whitewashing and kind of elimination of of facts uh, in place of propaganda and uh, hopefully not incipient totalitarianism but in 1984 that's what we see so what what do you see as the as the role of your theater at this moment? Well, look, I mean. You know, whether you're talking about the Avon here in Stanford or you're talking about the Madison Art Cinemas and Arnold uh, or any of the theaters that I represent or the vast network of theaters that are independently owned and operated, whether for-profit or non-profit across the country, I think that we collectively have played an integral role uh, historically, currently, and hopefully moving forward into the future, of being hubs for community activity, uh, that we can somehow work as conduits to bring together cinema as a form of art, culture, and education to the community, and that we can be an open and safe place for people to engage in dialogue from which they can garner whatever it is that they wish to take from there back into their private lives. Uh, you know, do we have a greater responsibility now than we did before? I suppose that's debatable. Um, you know, I would like to think that we should always retain a level of responsibility without necessarily taking a side, but just that we can exist as, uh, you know, promoters of 
culture and cinema on an ongoing basis. Though I do think that presently there's such a sense of urgency and so many people are really just beside themselves and, and depressed about the state of affairs that I guess you can make the case that at this very moment in time, perhaps we serve a more immediate and urgent and apparent need to many people who are looking for some form of an outlet on a localized level for a shared collective experience to be able to, you know, talk among people that are in the same boat as them and feeling concerned. But frankly, Tom, and this goes back to some of the questions you were putting out there before, I'm an individual who has maintained and will continue to argue for a very long time that this country has existed in a state of what I like to call uh, virtual or inverted totalitarianism. And that while it is now more readily apparent because it is so aggressively in your face and out in the open and the mask has been taken off, I don't necessarily believe that the Trump administration has suddenly flipped a switch that just went off in this country and that we've not had a problem prior to this. I think the problem has existed and has been festering in our government for decades now. I think that the idea of democracy is certainly present, and it's that mirage that people have been holding on to for so long, which has enabled us to get to a place where we are at this very point in time. So when you ask me the question of whether or not I think you know, we take on a greater or more urgent role now, that's why I'm remiss to say it's suddenly now more urgent, because I think this problem has really been going on for a much longer time than people would like to acknowledge. And it's only that because it is so egregious at this very moment that people are waking up to the issues. So to you know contrast the state of affairs and society in the United States with what we see in the movie, uh, you know, perhaps we don't see everybody walking around like drones and just... Uh, you know, tacitly going about their day. Uh, there is this idea that we certainly yeah. can continue to express ourselves with free thought and speech. But I think there are underlying issues with the government. The fact that you have essentially a choice of one of two parties, both of which are rife with corruption, and neither of which are really that dissimilar from one another, with the exception of a few core uh, social or political or environmental issues that they hang their hats on. You know, when, when you pull away the layers from that, you're really looking at a state where we don't really have many choices in terms of representation, in terms of voices. And that's why, for me at least, as a personal citizen, and I'm now speaking, you know, as an individual and not necessarily as a programmer on behalf of any given venue, I'm hoping that these venues and these uh, engagements of 1984 can galvanize people to think about government not only in terms of the problems with the Trump administration, but bigger, broader problems that have existed and will continue to exist long after he's gone from the scene. Arnold, these have long been difficult times for independent kind of movie theaters like Madison Art Cinema. I mean, the, the and not just looking at the the types of movies that kind of dominate the cinematic landscape, the kind of big blockbusters, the Marvel movies, the the sequels, I and mean, there, there's a lot of studio money that goes into movies that doesn't necessarily fit the the kind of artistic mission of your organization. But there, I mean, simply your theaters like Madison Art Cinemas, from what I understand, it's always you know they're kind of outliers in the world of kind of movie exhibition today. And I wonder how um, 
One, you see the you know potential slashing of NEA and NEH funding affecting your business, if at all. I mean, do you see if the, these budget cuts having a, a kind of tangible impact on how Madison Art Cinemas is run, but also how you see you know the the election of Trump as in any way affecting uh, your theater's mission, if it does deepen any sense of urgency uh, that is I don't know galvanizing you to participate in an event like this. I can't say what the immediate effect of defunding of uh, the National Endowment for the Arts will be. Uh, I could just imagine that certain funding for the production of certain movies or documentaries, which we might consider playing, will no longer be available to us. I just think it's a broader issue for the public at large that may not specifically impact the Madison Art Cinemas or the Avon. Um, I wanted to get back to another point that Adam made, and somebody who's written extensively on this, and I think the most brilliant writing on the subject is Hannah Arendt. And there is a documentary out. It's distributed by Zeitgeist Films. It's called um, Vita Activa, The Spirit of Hannah Arendt. I recommend it to everyone where she talks about the um, totalitarian tendencies of democratic societies and how they transform themselves into totalitarian societies and the danger of ideology and nationalism and, this, and the scourge that they are and what it could lead almost the most liberal state to do some of the most unthinkable things. Um, that's just something that yeah. I, I wanted to mention. And Hannah Arendt is resonating me, with me right now. For me, um, I think it's nice to love your country, and I do. Uh, but I'd like to think, why should my love of my country stop at the borders? Liana, I, I think that, you know, universities and Yale in particular uh, have kind of always been epicenters for fights over freedom of expression and freedom of speech. I mean, just in the past couple of years with all of the kind of Black Lives Matter related protests happening on campus and the real kind of clamp down and resistance from the administration um, and also from, you know, a, a lot of kind of people in outlying areas of Connecticut looking kind of with scorn upon a lot of student protests uh, at, at Yale, uh, at the University of Missouri. Um, I, I wonder how I'm, your, again, your mission is, is a little bit different than Adam and Arnold's theaters. Uh, and I wonder if, you know, this, one thing that I so value about going to screenings at the Whitney Humanity Center is how it always, um, you know, there are always people to put the movies in kind of historical and artistic context. You always learn much more about, um, or as much about what kind of happened before and after the movie as what, what you're seeing on the screen. I wonder if you see um, the election of Trump and the kind of proposed slashes to all of these national arts budgets as not just something that could affect the own, you know, your, your own screening series at Yale, but also uh, in any way affecting your mission in the way that you look to engage with Yale audiences, with New Haven audiences, with what, you know, how you see a university um, kind of film studies program operating in the context of, you know, this incredible assault upon, uh, upon the arts uh, in this country right now. I could get into a lot of trouble for all the things I want to say right now. Um, You're welcome to speak personally <laughs> if you don't want to speak as representative of anything, but... Right, what, no, I, I think, we'll yeah, it would be better if I don't speak as a representative of my department, of the Whitney Humanities Center, um, but I do really think that one of the problems is that... Um, elite private universities like Yale have um, their interests in a way that is part of the kind of 
longer historically entrenched problem that um, Adam was describing, um, the undervaluation of the humanities, um, the yeah, um, expansion of the commercial parts of the university. We have a kind of microcosm of uh, all of the patterns that are happening in the country on campus. And for that reason, I think that what the protests that a lot of the undergrads have led are incredibly amazing and um, should be lauded, but are also within that ecosystem. And I think one of the criticisms has been that they don't resonate with broader issues around the country. Um, but And have conversations know. with your fellow Yale Film Colloquium or Whitney Humanities Center, or Film Studies Center um, colleagues or students that have... They, has the, have those conversations kind of palpably changed at all since the election in terms of how you approach um, programming, not just in your own uh, kind of personal political views, but in terms of what you think is kind of most important to put on the screen right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the um, major organs of activism that I've been involved in since my time here at Yale has been um, the Graduate Student Union. And we just got recognized um, recently, and we are trying to get the administration to negotiate with us. And um, I've been running a union film series um, for the past year, which has been quite a pleasure, although there are many bleak films to watch um, in that history. But um, yes, that has felt like an imperative, and it's been a real pleasure to share it with um, people who don't think of themselves as cinephiles or who don't think of themselves as activists, but are somehow meeting in the middle um, yeah, communally. Adam, as, as we wrap up our conversation about next week's event, I, I want to ask you about, I mean, we've spoken a lot about how this screening fits within the, the mission of your organization and how you see arts, you know, independent movie theaters to be operating kind of in the foreseeable future. But I, take, take me, uh, you don't have to go a few years out that far, but I mean, how does this kind of in the long run is, how do you... Um, in what direction do you want to take your theater kind of after screen? Do you, do you want to be hosting more events like this, more events that bring in um, screenings and also local educators and community conversations uh, that are kind of directly related to political concerns? Is, is this a, a template for a type of event that you think that you want your theater to be participating in? Or uh, is, it, is it too soon to tell whether this is uh, just kind of a one-off? I mean, look, the, the Avon has a long-standing tradition, and it's part of our mission since the organization's inception in 2004 to be a hub for educational, cultural, and commun general community activity, that we are going to always utilize cinema as a vehicle for conversation and dialogue. And that conversation and dialogue has often run right into issues that are very topical, and deal with political issues and society. And while we as an organization don't necessarily take a side, we certainly are going to present that which is most pertinent of the moment. So if that which is most pertinent at this very moment is this current administration, and that's what the public is interested in having a dialogue about and seeing movies about, then that's what we'll continue to show. Um, I don't necessarily have any particular agenda to put forth other than to continue to utilize the cinema in a fashion that accomplishes that very simple mission. Adam Birnbaum is a film programmer for the Avon Theater in Stamford, Connecticut. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Could you tell our listeners? Thanks so much for uh, having me. Tell, tell us where, where your theater is, uh, where they can buy tickets to this event. What, what do you want to plug at the end of the show? 
thank you, Tom. Yes, you can see the film at the Avon Theater in Stamford, Connecticut at 272 Bedford Street on April 4th at 7.30 p.m. There are still a few tickets available. You can purchase them online at www.avontheater.org or you could come to the theater box office in person and buy them on the night of the show. Arnold Gorlick is the founder and owner of Madison Art Cinema. Same question for you, Arnold. Where can people find your theater and, and where can they uh, find this or where and when can they find this event? Well, they could find it at the Madison Art Cinemas on Tuesday, April 4th at 7.15 p.m., but we are sold out. Our online ticket sales just went through the roof almost immediately when we announced it. We're located at 761 Boston Post Road in Madison, Connecticut, next to the post office and across the street from R.J. Julia Booksellers. And Liana Hirschfeld-Krohn is a third-year Ph.D. student at Yale University in the Departments of Comparative Literature and Film and Media Studies. Liana, where can people find uh, screenings put on by the Yale Film Colloquium and this one in particular? Um, This one will be on April 4th. Uh, at the Whitney Humanities Center at 7 p.m. And we are not sold out, so if you can't go to Madison, come to us. <laughs> uh, Adam, Arnold, Liana, thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll make sure to link to your uh, various theaters and programs on the Deep Focus website. Okay, you can find so much, Tom. a complete archive of Deep Focus shows at deepfocusradio.com. And coming up next is Elise's Culture Cocktail. <laughs> 